Thank you, David. Thank you for the reminder that our church will be on mission this evening, hosting a Super Bowl party uh, for the families that we've been reaching out to over the last two or three years in our community. And so I encourage you and invite you to be in prayer for that uh, taking place this evening uh, right here. Super Bowl 50. Who are you rooting for? Yeah, Cowboys. Yeah. Go Cowboys. Yeah, whatever. So good to see you this morning. Uh, I am excited that you're here with us, and, uh, and hopefully you are more excited about this time than you are the Super Bowl. Um, and if not, hopefully by the time you leave, you will be more excited about our time together than the Super Bowl. Um, we are, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28 in, uh, in just a few minutes. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. So if you want to go ahead and turn there and kind of find your place. If you don't have a Bible, um, we put black hardback Bibles underneath the seats around you. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So um, give you a minute to turn there. I'll inter- introduce kind of where we're going today. And, uh, and so then we'll get started. So um, first of all, welcome. If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Jason. Uh, my voice doesn't always sound this cool. Um, I hope that it kind of hangs around, um, but, but normally I, I'm a lot, a lot more boring than this, but uh, for what it's worth, uh, that, this is what I sound like today. So glad you're here with us, and, uh, and, and so if you're um, looking for a church home, just let me say welcome. Um, you're surrounded by an awesome church family that would love to have you. If I haven't a chance to meet you, introduce myself to you, please come find me at the end of the service and introduce yourself. I love the honor of getting to meet you. Um, we are going to be in God's Word in just a minute in Matthew 28, and I want to just say this to you. So we, last week, we landed our Revelation sermon series. Uh, what an exciting journey as a church family. It took us several months, actually it took us a month longer than I originally planned or anticipated. Started it last September, we finished it last Sunday. Um, all of our community groups this weekend um, are having their final discussion on Revelation. Uh, we had ours last night, and uh, man, it's been a, a, just an exciting time to learn and to see the people around me get excited about eternity and to think about things that we don't normally think or talk about. So it was a really fun sermon series. Um, but we're starting a new one today, a new sermon series entitled A Church on Mission. And so let me explain to you kind of where we're going. This sermon series is going to be different from really anything I've ever done here at Solid Rock. And uh, let me explain to you why. Um, so, so first of all, we're not going to be going just through a book of the Bible. Normally we do that on Sunday mornings, verse by verse. Word by word, we'll go through a book of the Bible. We did that with Revelation. Um, But for this series, we're going to be in God's Word, but we'll be um, covering a lot of different topics, if you will, for this sermon series. Another reason why this one's going to be different is because from time to time, you'll see this morning even, I'm going to have people up on stage from our church family interviewing, uh, hearing testimonies, hearing uh, about how different people serve in different areas of our church. And so we're going to be looking at this phrase, a church on mission. We use that all the time around. You just heard it in a video. Somebody said, we are a church on mission. And so what does it mean to be a church on mission? So throughout this sermon series, we're going to be looking at the things we do, and more importantly, looking at the reason why we do the things we do. And so that's going to be this sermon series. We're going to walk through different ministries and aspects of our church. It's a great time if you're visiting to learn more about our church and how we are organized and where our priorities are. Um, for sure. But before we can get too far into the sermon series, we need to ask the question, what's our mission? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look specifically at that question. What is our mission as a church? I don't know what thoughts come to mind when you hear the word mission. Maybe a Tom Cruise movie or a trip to Africa. I don't know what your idea is, but we're going to go to God's word in Matthew 28. Verses 16 through 20. Let's read that together, and then we will come back and we will talk about it. So starting in verse 16, this is after Jesus, our Savior, has gone to the cross, has borne the sins and the shame of the world. He has died for our sins, taken those sins to the grave, and resurrected from the dead. And before he ascends back to the Father, he draws the disciples back to himself. He actually meets them on the side of a mountain. At this point, there are 11, because remember... Judas has dropped out. He bailed. So now the 12 is now 11. And this is a departing commission or departing marching orders for these remaining 11 men who had been following Jesus. Starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is such a profound place in your Bible. This is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's getting ready to ascend back to the Father. The book of Acts begins this mission being carried out by these 11. And and we're going to see quickly 11 turns into 120, turns into 3,000, turns into 5,000 in just a matter of a couple chapters. Okay, so But this is where it all begins with Jesus giving them a task, a mission to do here on earth. Now, it's interesting where Matthew's account starts. Remember, Matthew was among these 11 as he writes down his account of what he remembered. This is what he says first. He says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm going to meet up with you. We're going to meet at this mountain in Galilee, and I've got some, some final things I want to say to you. And so then we read verse 17, and when they saw him, so we don't know if he was there waiting on them, and when they saw him, or if they got there first and they're watching, and here he comes and they see him, but at the moment that they see each other, they worshiped him. Be fine and dandy if that's where the verse ended, right? But it doesn't. What does it say? But some doubted. Now, we're talking about the 11 here, right? We're not just talking about fringe followers of Jesus. We're talking about the 11. So here's what we know so far. We can can assume this. Some of them had worked through their doubts. They had worked through their struggle with trying to wrap their minds around Jesus died and resurrected, and they're in a place of worship. They're all in. They see him, make eye contact. That's our Savior. It's the Son of God. They're worshiping, but there was a still struggle, evidently, for some. We don't know which ones. Maybe it was Peter, it was Matthew. We don't know which one specifically at this point, but we know that there was still a sense of doubt. Now, here's here's why that's important for us. I mean, these were the men who took off and launched the church. There's a really unique relationship between worship and mission. So I think there's no accident that Matthew included this account here. Um, If you'll look in your sermon notes, I've got a quote in there I want you to, to read with me. This is a quote from Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Some of you may have read this book. If not, I encourage you to read this book. Uh, I think God has used it in many people's lives to ignite a passion uh, for missions. But the opening sentence of this book begins here. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate. Let me unpack that quote for you. So we finished off our Revelation series last week, just catching a glimpse of eternity. And what we saw was this amazing celebration and worship taking place. But there was no mission. Why? Mission was done. And when mission ceases in eternity, worship goes on. So mission is temporary. Worship is eternal. Right, But mission exists, according to what Piper's saying, right now here on earth. Why? Because worship doesn't wholesale right across the earth, all the nations, all the people. So until that moment happens, we have a mission here on earth. Worship is ultimate. That's the end goal of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And here, even in this Moment Right before Jesus gives the marching orders, we see that worship is still a struggle here on earth. And you walk out of these doors, you're going to encounter people. You're going to encounter people who are sold out for this mission. Unfortunately, probably not the vast majority of people you're going to encounter, but you're going to encounter people who hopefully are like you, sold out, worshiping Jesus somewhere right now possibly, right? Living their lives in worship. And you come in contact and you just know this person is on mission for Jesus. But you're going to encounter potentially a vast majority of the people you're going to encounter out there, right? They don't worship. They don't believe. They're not living their lives on mission. 
And so mission exists, right, because of that reality, because worship doesn't yet. Now, I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a quote from uh, the famous Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Okay, you got some good verses memorized from Habakkuk? I just love saying it like that. Habakkuk 2.14, this, this beautiful, prophetic, forward-looking verse, for all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. What a beautiful promise. All the way back in Habakkuk in the Old Testament, this forward-leaning prophecy, prophecy saying what? There will be a day that comes when the nations will worship and the glory of God will fill the heavens and the earth. This is where we ended our Revelation series. The glory of God was so radiant and vibrant, it illuminated the new heavens and the new earth. There were no shadows, no darkness, no corners, no reason to lock doors or shut gates, no need for a sun or moon. Why? Because the glory of God fully unveiled, illuminated the new heavens and the new earth. So Habakkuk is pointing towards that. But that day hasn't come yet, and until that day does, missions exist. And those who follow Jesus are on mission. So what's the mission that we are on? If you're taking notes with us today, Jesus gave the church the mission on earth to lead the nations to worship him eternally. Jesus gave the church the mission on earth to lead the nations to worship him eternally. There's a very intimate relationship between mission and worship. You connecting that? Those of you who are here today who are believers, who enjoy worship, you do so, right, because you're a product of the mission. Somebody, somewhere, a parent, a friend, a teacher, a youth minister, a pastor, somebody lived on mission, right, and invited you to come to Christ, and so now you worship. Next verse, 18. And Jesus came to them, or came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, every mission begins with authority, whether it's um, your mission uh, to parent well or your mission at work, your boss gives you a project. Whatever you do in terms of a mission or a project or a task is closely connected to the authority, right? So like when your boss says to you, this is what I need for you to do today, that, right, uh, from, from an authoritative perspective, that's not up for grabs. You, you need to do that today, right? It's not a suggestion. If you get bored and you have anything else going on, I need you to think about maybe doing this. If, if your boss says to you, this is your task for today, right, in proportion to his or her authority in your life, that's what you are to do. Now, we're, uh, we're 21st century American autonomous, a little bit narcissistic at times. We don't like authority, do we? We don't like anybody competing with our sovereignty, telling us what to do. So the weight of this mission that we're about to read from God is in direct proportion to the authority of he who speaks it. And so Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. The weight of this mission, the weight of the mission of the church is based on the authority of Jesus. This is not a famous rabbi, a church leader, a politician, right? Not a public speaker, not just somebody who's influential. This is in fact the son of the living God. For these 11 men, he has more than unveiled that to them. If we rewind in Matthew to Matthew 16, he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, that's right. We know that there's a transfiguration moment that takes place where Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain and for a brief moment transfigures and allows them to see his glory as the son of God. And for those who didn't get to witness that, they saw the cross. They saw Jesus suffering, tortured, and die, and then they saw him resurrected. So for these 11 men, the weight of this mission is based on who Jesus is as the Son of God. Now, the same is true for you and I. The significance of this mission in your life is closely connected to who you say Jesus is. 
If, if we really believe, and I'm saying if, I, I believe this, if we truly believe that the Son of God is saying this, it'll come with a sense of authority. And this mission that he's about to give us will supersede any other mission in our lives. Matter of fact, every other mission in our lives must submit to this mission. So my mission to be um, an awesome, loving husband is about ultimately fulfilling this mission that Jesus has called me on. My mission and my desire to be a good parent is, more, is ultimately about this mission we're about to read. My mission to be a good friend to you has everything to do with this. My mission to see um, those who are hungry fed and those who don't have clothing clothed and those who don't have homes get homes. Those who don't have clean water get clean water. All those missions that we're on. Your nine to five, Monday through Friday job, that mission, all missions, if you believe that it's the son of God speaking, right, must submit to this one mission. If we truly believe he is who he says he is. So in verse 19, we get to the mission. This is, in fact, where we find the command that Jesus is giving. So 19 begins here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let's talk for a minute about going. Going isn't actually the command here. Okay? This, is, this could also read, as you are going, as you are living your life. Here's the command. Make what? Disciples. That's the command. That's the mission here given to these 11 men. Now, it's interesting. These are the 11 disciples being given a mission and a command to do what? To make what? Disciples. Right? Disciples are commanded here to go and to make more disciples. And this idea isn't just um, exclusive to Matthew 28. We go here because it's most, uh, most explicitly expressed here. But this is implied all throughout your Bible that this is the very mission that God's people are to be on. Even go back to Eden. Okay, Genesis 1. Created order. Sin has not impacted the world yet. And we were created to be a people who multiply on, that, on mission. Look at Genesis uh, chapter 1. Verse 28, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We were created, right, in a state with a purpose and a mission to multiply. God's desire to build his kingdom in us and through us to others. And we, we quickly derailed that mission with sin in Genesis 3. But it's not too many chapters later, Genesis 12, God reminds us, I have a mission for you. It's in a conversation he has with a man named Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this together. Now the Lord said to Abraham, what's the word? Go. So this is not a new thing for God to call his people to go. Go. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, and to the land that I will show you. I will, make you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, that word in Hebrew could actually translate ethnicities or even nationalities, all families, ethnicities, nationalities of the earth shall be blessed. So he's telling Abraham, go, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Go, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. We go to Galatians 3, and the apostle Paul is talking about this verse, and he says that God was actually preaching the gospel in that moment to Abraham in Genesis 12. And so this is a theme in our Bibles from cover to cover, Right? That until worship is taking place eternally among the nations, there is a mission at hand, a mission to go and to multiply and to, to be a part of God, moving his kingdom out on earth to the nations. The mission of the church is to make disciples for Jesus and multiply God's kingdom. The mission of the church is to, it's not rocket science, is it? What? Make disciples of the nations. 
I was talking about in the, uh, in the 9 o'clock service about the influence that corporate America has had on the church. And we saw this in, in you know, mid, early 90s begin to take place. And um, a lot of churches were realizing that traditions were becoming you know, maybe outdated or had extended shelf life and were rethinking things. And so there was a significant corporate impact on the church. Um, some of it help, helpful, some of it not as helpful. Um, but you may remember, if you're involved in church, then this, uh, this push to create mission statement, vision statement, purpose statement in churches. And, uh, and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's good to be focused and say, here's what we're about and here's what our intent is. But I say all that to say this. Um, I'm good with you know, churches getting together, leadership getting together, saying, what's our vision statement, right? Let's talk about our purpose. But here's the thing. We don't get to make up in a creative room our mission. We don't get to get together and discuss and debate and think, what would be the best mission to be on? We don't. Our mission statement is, is settled. Now, you can word it however you want to word it, but we have one mission as a church. This is it. Whatever your mission statement is, it, it, right? if you're following Jesus, it must reflect this. We have a mission to make disciples of the nations, Period. Missions exist because worship doesn't, and I add on to that, yet. And until that moment of eternal glory becomes the constant reality, mission is active. You're on mission right now. You'll be on mission. If you follow Jesus, you'll be on mission when you leave here and go eat lunch with your family. You'll be at, on mission tonight at bedtime as you, as you kneel down next to your children and say bedtime prayers with them. You'll be on mission at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning when you're clocking in or logging in at work, right? You're on mission. As you go, this is your mission. And we don't get to make it up. Now, what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to help us understand how this is to take place, Okay? So the first thing he says is what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, so much is packed in to this one verse. Baptizing implies so much more than just getting wet, right? So first of all, there, there needs to be a relationship with Jesus. We are um, evangelical Christians here at Solid Rock. We only baptize those who are believers, Right? We don't baptize non-believers because why? Baptism is a symbol of something. It's saying outwardly, I trust and follow Jesus. He's my Savior. Okay, So we know embedded in this command to baptize is, is explicitly this idea of inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. I think about Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. So before he launches his public ministry, um, he himself comes to John the Baptist and says, Hey, John, I need to be baptized. And they have a really interesting dialogue. Um, John says, first of all, I don't think so. I'm not worthy to baptize you, Jesus. Are you kidding me? You're the son of God. Like, this is not how this is supposed to go down. And Jesus responds with what? But this is how it's going to go down, according to the Father's will. And so, right? And so, I mean, how are you going to argue with that, right? The son of God just said, no, no, no. I'm not asking for suggestions. I'm telling you this is what's going to happen. And so John's like, oh. Okay, here we go. So John baptizes Jesus. We pick that up in Matthew 3, uh, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's identity marker on Jesus. God the Father saying, this is my son. Now, every baptism, every Christian baptism is, a, is an identity marker. It's first of all the proclamation of that person saying, I trust Jesus and I want you all to know it. I'm his. But it's also an identity marker from the Father back to us because baptism was his idea. He initiated this. Him saying to us, this is my son, my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And so baptism is closely connected to salvation. When you trust Christ as your Savior, right, there's this, there's this follow-up where you make that public. Uh, Acts 1 or 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 uh, records this. The church is just launching. Uh, Peter stands up 
and preaches the first recorded sermon in the church after Jesus' ascension, full of the Holy Spirit, and there are a bunch of people that are hearing it, and they respond with, well, how do we, what do we do? We, we hear what you're saying, Peter. Something has ignited within us. We believe it, so what do we do? And then Peter responds, repent and be baptized. In verse 41 of Acts 2, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a big sermon. That's a big moment in the church. Right there in that moment. Doesn't look like they set up appointments. Doesn't look like they scheduled it out next year when it'll be convenient. I mean, they're like, let's do this now. Right? This outward expression of an inward faith in that moment. So baptism is that identity marker for sure. But it's also an identity marker that says to the people who are watching that you belong to the community of Christ. It's, it's why we in Christ, we do this. Okay? It's this outward proclamation, but it's also saying what? I'm in with you, and you're in with me. This is our identity marker. We come from different backgrounds. We have different spiritual giftings. But this one thing we have in common, we are all in Christ, and he's in us. And so it's also a marker of being connected to the community of Christ. I mean, baptisms, we do it here. Unless you are in a situation where you physically can't get here, we'll come to your house then. At that point, we'll do it. But if you can get here, we want you to be here, right? It's such, a, such an exciting moment as a church when you're a part of that and you're celebrating your, right? And as a community, we do that. The mission of the church involves inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and into the community of the church. So when he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's saying a lot. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about getting connected to the church. He's talking about an identity shift and change. Just like when God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, your identity changes at salvation. And baptism is the way you make that known. The mission of the church involves inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and into the community of the church. Verse 20 continues this on. Jesus tells us another way that we're to be making disciples. He says, teaching them to observe, or some translations, obey. Either word works. To observe, to obey, all that I have commanded you. Let's just talk for just a minute. Um, I'm going to do a little poll. This will be fun. Okay, Everybody gets to raise their hand if you want to. Um, So let's just start here. Raise your hand if you come from a Baptist background, grew up in a Baptist church. There's all my Baptist folk. All right. I want you to raise your hand if you grew up in maybe a more formal setting like um, the Methodist church. Okay. I'm raising my hand with you. Yeah, we're together. Uh, Right here? Yeah, sort of. Okay. I mean, on Easter and Christmas Eve anyway, right? Um, how about if you grew up in uh, Episcopalian, Lutheran um, type church? Okay, yeah. Um, how about a charismatic or more denominational church? Okay, there we go. That's kind of confusing. Was it Catholic or charismatic, charismatic Catholic? Okay, that's kind of, all right, man, I, hey, they're out there for sure. How many didn't grow up in church at all? All right, awesome, awesome. So, Here's what that does. That highlights the need to teach, right? We don't don't let our denominational traditions lead us as a church. Not that all denominational traditions are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But what does drive us and lead us must be the Bible. We gotta teach it. We gotta learn. So when Jesus said, teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded, he's talking about a lot, isn't he? I mean, this is not just the the, the author of the cross, this is the author of the Bible speaking, the author of creation, the author of salvation. He's said a lot. And he's saying, teach them, right? So we have to open and, and teach the Bible if we're going to make disciples. Now, in a more specific context, though, when he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, we can't overlook the fact he just gave a command. Right? He just did. So he's also talking very specifically about the command he just gave to these 11 guys. What was the command? You guys, as you go, make disciples of the nations. Now, 
Here's one, of the, one part of that is you're gonna teach those who become Christians how to what? Obey that command to go make disciples of the nations. You see how that works? You're sitting here today in church. You're sitting here today in a Christian church because these 11 guys obeyed that command. They went out, they preached the gospel, they invited people into a relationship with Jesus, they baptized, and they spent time teaching. You know, we've got these beautiful letters of the apostles that make up a good deal of our New Testament. These were teachings. It's what they were doing. And if the apostle couldn't be there, they were sending letters from town to town so the apostles could engage in teaching the people what it means to follow and obey Jesus. So he says, don't just go do this. In going and doing this, teach the ones who come on board to do it as well. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. The mission of the church requires teaching people how to live missional lives for Jesus. Teaching people how to live missional lives for Jesus. We're going to do that in this series. Okay, Week after week, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live your life on mission for Jesus? And we're not even going to talk about the Philippines until like a long time from now. Because the nations includes white settlement. Right? And Alito and Saginaw and Fort Worth and Tarrant County and Parker County. It includes Mexico and Oklahoma and Canada and the nations that make up Africa and Asia and right? India and Russia, the Philippines, the nations. This is a huge mission we're on. Beginning where first? Here. As you are going. As you are going. And then he ends with this beautiful promise. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what this verse is saying is this. It was already assumed that they would, we would live eternally with Jesus. So he's obviously, he's, that's assumed. He's saying, also I will be with you until then. Right? This salvation is not just about I'll meet you there, but it's also I'll be with you here. So he gives them a mission and he wants them to understand, I'm not checking out. I'll be with you on this mission. It's a co-mission. One of the best ways for me to understand this, this idea of being on co-mission with Jesus is to think about my own relationship with, with my boys. And, uh, and oftentimes when, um, when I go out to the garage to do a project or work on something or fix something, I'll invite the boys to come with me. Now, trust me, I don't really need their help. Okay, it's not that that's not... Right? Like, Hudson, go get me a, you know, a 516th socket. And he's like, you know, and he brings me back a screwdriver. Like, it, is, it's, it takes a whole lot more time. But let me, there's two reasons why I do that. Okay, one, I want to teach them. Right? So they need to be with me so I can show them and they can learn and go, oh, not a socket, wrench, screwdriver, the whole deal. But there's another reason why. Because if I'm going out to the garage to work, right, and they're not with me, that's time away from them. And so when I invite my boys to come out into the garage with me, it's not because I need their help, right? But it's because if they're going to be with me, they're going to be doing what I'm doing, right? For them to be spending time with me, being in relationship with me means what? They'll be doing what I'm doing. So I don't get frustrated, right, when the whole thing comes apart and I have to start all over. Why? Because they're with me. So this beautiful promise from Jesus is not a, com a mission to where he says, go do it, I'll meet you at the finish line and we'll high five and see how good you did. He's saying, no, I'm actually inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. Right? This mission is not Jesus saying, here's the marching orders, go. It's Jesus saying, listen, if you want to be with me, you'll be doing what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to be doing on earth until eternity sets in and worship takes off. This is the mission I'm going to be on. So if you're going to walk with me daily in your quiet time, right, don't, don't be surprised every day when I remind you of this mission. This is what I'm going to be doing. And trust me, he doesn't need our help. Matter of fact, I would, I would go as far as to say it makes it harder on him when we get involved. Yet, what? He chooses to invite us anyway to participate in what he's already doing. If you're in Christ, this is your mission. If you're walking with Jesus in relationship, this is what he's doing if you're with him. Walking with Jesus means living the mission of Jesus 
in my life every day. Walking with Jesus means living the mission of Jesus in my life every day. Now, what I want to do is, is take a shift for a minute. I'm going to invite somebody to the stage. I'm going to invite my good friend, uh, Scott Rush, to the stage. Would you welcome Scott as he comes up? All right, you should be getting turned on there. This is uh, Scott Rush. I've known Scott about 10, 11 years um, since he was in high school. And, uh, and so, Scott, I'm inviting you up on the stage to talk to us about being mission. I consider you somebody uh, to, to be somewhat an expert in the topic of mission because of your experience in the military, uh, your service in Iraq. And so I'm going to ask Scott a couple of questions uh, to allow him to speak to us just about what it means to be on mission uh, especially from a critical uh, standpoint. So before we get to that, would you take a second and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? And I grew up here in Fort Worth, and uh, I went to Brewer, and then I got baptized upstairs, and, uh, and I joined the Army when I was 17. And yeah. Then I was off. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Scott became a Christian through the student ministry here, like he said, baptized here, uh, but then quickly uh, headed off to the military, yeah, to the Army. Six years in Colorado, yep. Yeah, and so um, in that, uh, in your military stint, you did some time in Iraq, right, deployed. Mm -hmm. How long were you there? I did a year there. In Iraq for mm -hmm. a year. What year was that? Uh, in 2000, December 05 to December 06. Okay, wow. So 05, 06, Scott was in Iraq. Um, so I'm going to ask you just some specific questions about um, what you learned from not, not just being in the Army, but being on mission in a real critical way, critical situations, mm -hmm. combat situations, right? Um, you did a number of missions while you were there, right? Yeah, we did. Um, we did. I mean, we went outside the wire every day, and uh, we uh, we we did hundreds of ground operations. Uh, also, uh, about ten air assault missions where we would get intelligence about high value targets and then uh, fly to their house and and capture them. Okay. So we did a lot of missions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Um, I guess my first question is this. What I would assume, because I've never been in combat, okay? So the vast majority of us haven't been, right? We watch it on TV, through media or movies, and so we have a real skewed perspective, I think, of what you actually experience there. Um, share with me, if you will, from your experience about unity. My assumption would be that the unity of the team is, is really critical, right? So when you go do something as a team... They're not just sending you out as a Lone Ranger, right? Like handing you a piece of paper saying, Scott, here's your mission. Good luck. We'll see you when you get back. You're, you're heading out with groups, right? How big of yeah. the, are the groups? Uh, uh, platoon size elements, like 30 to 50 guys. And then even some operations, we did company size elements with about 150 guys. Wow. So 30 For, to 150 guys yeah. going out with a single mission to accomplish. Uh, my assumption would be that not everybody's doing the same thing. Uh, no, we all have different jobs. Uh, some people are drivers. Some people get out of vehicles. Yeah, the helicopter pilots. Um, every, the, everyone has their own job, and uh, everyone has to be in sync uh, because if they're not and one person messes up, then that could cause everyone to, to get hurt. Yeah. Let me ask you a loaded question. What was the most important position? <laughs> There's no most important position um, I mean, everyone's position would be equally important. If you're if you're on guard duty and you're in a house uh, uh, and and you've been out of the wire for a couple days and you take over a house and then uh, you want to go to sleep, your your buddies upstairs have to be standing on the roof and they have to pull guard for you and you have to be able to trust that they're going to stay awake and not fall asleep because if they fall asleep, you could die. Yeah. So the only way to sleep is to know that you have a hundred percent trust in in your in your Hello, battle buddies. So unity of the team, I would say, then, is it's essential. Essential, yeah. Every man doing his job, man and woman doing their job, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're radio operator, you're driving the car, um, you're carrying water, whatever it is, mm -hmm. your position is necessary and equally critical. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think in addition to that, I'd like to know just about, like, focus. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that when you're there in Iraq for a year, there's hopefully some downtime, mm -hmm. but, you know, time to think about family, think about life back here in the States, get on Facebook, whatever, you know, you, you can do. But when you're on mission, you're outside the wire, as you say, mm -hmm. how critical is focus 
in those moments. It is, it is life or death if you're not focused. If you're driving down the road and you see a bag in the road, that bag could potentially be a bomb to blow you up. So you have to be able to stop and say, okay, let's check this out. I mean, every, everything, while you're there, you're hyper vigilant. Everything is 100% focused. Uh, and then some of that even carries over when you come back yeah. as well. It's hard to get unfocused. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess my next question, I had a couple more questions I want to ask you. Um, so uh, I would assume this, okay? Having never been to Iraq, um, it looks hot and dry and dusty and dirty and uncomfortable and inconvenient. Um, I, would, I would assume that there would be a temptation to want to quit, on, on missions, especially the ones that go on for days. Like, I don't know if I can yeah. do any more. I don't know if I can stay awake any longer. How significant is they, that? They pretty much remove quit from your vocabulary. When you're in basic training, uh, if someone says, I can't do something, they, everyone gets punished. I, you're not allowed to say you can't right. do something. There's no such, that, that just doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, before we deployed, uh, like the day we deployed, a guy didn't show up. And he went AWOL, and he was gone. Uh, but everyone who goes there, once you're there, you're there. You're committed, and it's only about making it home. There afterwards. is no quitting. There's no quitting. Uh, and if anyone's not a team player, uh, then they get, they get made a team player really fast, or, <laughs> or, or they get put on all the crappy details like washing dishes or <laughs> stuff like that. So How many times you wash dishes? A uh, couple times. <laughs> <laughs> right, Not right. because I wasn't a team player, just because yeah. I was the new guy. So. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Well, one last question. You know, I, I would say this, that my assumption is of everybody who serves, especially in the military or first responders, you know, many areas like the military, um, it requires a lot of dying to self. Um, putting your needs aside for the sake of others. Um, how big of a part did that play for you in carrying out missions in combat? They, they really ingrain it, uh, the unity into you. Um, they make it to where, I mean, if, if one person ever messes up, everyone gets punished. So they, they, they make you live it to where no matter what, it's all about your battle buddies, the guys next to you. And uh, um, it, it's really just about making it home after that. Okay. So, so I knew that if, if I were in a firefight or something and I were, I were to get shot or go down or one of my buddies would get shot or go down, I knew 100% that they would run into fire to pick me up and pull me out of, out of harm's way because uh, they, they, they would proudly die to, mm. to save me. And uh, that's where the self-sacrifice comes in, I guess. Uh, mm. uh, at any time, they would, anybody would just they would sacrifice themselves to save me, and I would do the same for them. Yeah, can't, can't carry out one mission over there yeah. without it, right? Yeah, leave, never leave a fallen comrade. Yeah, what's the uh, motto of the army? An army of one. Army of one, yeah, that's not a... Well, it changes. It changes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking <laughs> yeah, of. I think it's... A, yeah, well, right um, first of all, I want to thank you for coming up on stage and let me just riddle you with questions yeah. uh, so that we can learn more about mission. But in addition to that, um, we want to thank you for your service thank to you. our country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you get a chance to introduce yourself to Scott before leaving, please do so. Um, His beautiful family, Diana, his wife, and his daughter, Olivia, were in the first service, and they're back home now, but um, be sure you introduce yourself to Scott. Thank you, Scott, uh, for your insight on mission. Um, Here's why I wanted him to come talk to us today. I think it's easy for us to imagine a combat situation and, and realize that's got weight, Every decision is critical. Every decision is, as he said, life or death. Can I just say this? Our mission is the same. The eternal souls of people hang in the balance of whether or not you and I engage in this mission. And all that he talked about is applicable. Unity of the team, right? I mean, in just the simplest way. You invite somebody to come to church and you don't happen to be the first person to greet them and they run into somebody in the hallway and that somebody in the hallway isn't welcoming and warm and inviting. Like just the, the most subtle things about our mission are critical. We are a team of one. We have one mission. I think about the other things that he talked about. I think about persistence. 
the, the, the temptation to give up or the temptation to not engage in a conversation because you, right, don't feel confident or you feel nervous or you feel scared. I would be willing to venture that there were moments, Scott, where you were scared and yet you carried out the mission anyway. And if we truly believe that our mission as Christians is given to us by the Son of God, it bears that kind of weight, even when we're uncomfortable, we'll do it anyway. When it's inconvenient. Right? Even when it's hard and it hurts. Those who've been to the Philippines and ridden on a Skylab know what I'm talking about. I'm looking at a couple of them. Right? Very uncomfortable, very inconvenient. But, right, it's worth it. Because when you get to where you're going, people are there. People who need to know the hope that we have in Jesus. Scott, I really appreciate your time coming up to talk to us about that. What I want to do now is I want to shift to some graphics that illustrate for, for you and I um, how mission works here at our church. And we're going to be using this throughout the sermon series. So I'm going to take just a minute to walk through some things. This is our mission from Jesus. He gave it to the first 11. He's given it to us. What this means played out in, in real life is this. If I'm this person down here on the screen, every avenue of my life, every decision, everywhere I go, I'm living out this mission, living on Mission, which means what? I'm engaging people who don't know Christ, who don't have a hope of eternity, who have tons of doubts and questions. Some are agnostic, some are atheists, some are religious but aren't saved. Like all kinds of people I'm encountering with a big question mark over their heads, right? With no sense of eternal security. And so my job is to engage the people who don't know Christ, share the gospel that they might hear and believe the gospel. And as we saw with the commission, it doesn't end with just evangelism. There's got to be an invitation into the community of Christ. And this is the place where we grow in community together, where we teach them to observe, right? How are we going to teach if we don't engage in community? If we all get saved and just go home and go about our ways, right? Who's going to disciple who? How are we going to learn? So we engage in community, learning the commands that Jesus has given us. And then ultimately, what is he pointing us towards? Every believer to live on mission. Let's look at what this might look like in our neighborhoods around here. We think about Solid Rock position here in West Fort Worth. In our community around us, we have a lot of folks who are unengaged, either don't know Christ or disengaged from the church for some reason. People in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your family maybe even, are disengaged, either not believers or believers who are just disengaged with the church. So our job is to invest and invite, right, to even when it's uncomfortable, take that step. Start that conversation. Let them know you care to invest and to invite. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Invite them to join you in worship here on a Sunday morning. But if, the, if it ends there, right, we haven't carried out the mission, right, because it needs to go deeper than that. We need to invite them, what, not just into a relationship with Jesus, but into a relationship with the church, community. So community is so essential to carrying out the mission at Solid Rock, we have community groups where this is where a lot of it happens. It happens in mid-sized groups like men's ministry, women's ministry. Um, it also happens in team ministries. Like this is all our community. We're growing in Christ in all these areas. This is what we're learning to obey, to live the mission globally and personally. Globally and personally living the mission. Does that mean that Maybe God's calling you to sign up to go to the Philippines, possibly. But the mission tomorrow morning isn't, isn't up for grabs, right? That personal mission is going to be there for you when you wake up. And ultimately, our job as Christ followers is to engage those who don't know Jesus and do what? Invest in their lives and invite them. Invite them to church, or better yet, invite them into a relationship with Jesus. I want to end with this invest and invite challenge and uh, you take this as serious as you want to. Some of you are already doing an amazing job of investing. You don't need a challenge to do it. That's fine. Others of you, this might be helpful, a helpful tool for you to write down a commitment and say, you know what, I'm going to be intentional over the next two months. We've got eight weeks until Easter to live out this mission, to obey what Jesus has commanded me to, commanded me to do. And so I want to challenge you in this way. I want you to think of three people who God has placed in your life for you to spiritually invest into. So if you just have two, it's okay. This is not a pass or fail. I want you to think of one to three people, and I would like for you, if you're willing, to write their names down. 
before you leave today. Let's take this very serious, this mission that Jesus has given us. And here's, here's what I want you to think about doing. Here's the three questions. This is actually in your uh, sermon notes. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to commit to living my life on mission for Jesus for the next eight weeks? Because if you're not, don't write the names down. Right? If you're not going to be proactive here, you're just writing names down. Okay? This is a question of being ready to engage. Here's, here's, here's the more specific commitment. Are you willing to make a commitment to pray for each of these people on a daily basis? Um, you could set an alarm on your phone. Um, I used to use one one at one. My alarm would go off at one o'clock and I would pray for at least one person for at least one minute. And it oftentimes would carry into five, 10 minutes, but just some kind of reminder on your phone, a reminder on your car dash when you're driving to work, you've got time to pray, maybe in your cubicle or on your desk. You know, are you truly willing to, on a daily basis, be engaged in this mission, starting by prayer, just praying for this, this, these people or this person? And then, would you be willing to reach out to this person on a weekly basis? Phone call, email, Facebook, text message, lunch. Whoa, meet them in person? Yeah. In some fashion, some form, just one contact, letting them know you haven't forgotten them, that you love them, and just see what the Holy Spirit might do and stir up for you in those relationships. And so I'm going to leave you with that challenge. We're not going to grade you on it. You're not going to turn them in. I'm not going to ask you at Easter how many of those people showed up, okay? But what I am asking is that we as a church would take this mission from Jesus serious, right? And we would begin living it out in our everyday lives. I want to pray now for us, and then uh, we're going to take communion together. So if you would uh, take just a minute to pray with me. And I'm going to give you some personal time this morning. Uh, before we take communion... I think it's always good just to take some personal inventory, spiritual inventory. So maybe just take a minute before I pray to think about your relationship with the Lord and maybe some things he's speaking to you this morning you want to pray about. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and so today you're realizing for the first time that the God of the universe is not a far-off being, but he's a God who loves you who desires to lead your life and give you purpose that extends beyond this life, I want you to know that today you can become a Christian by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's you. You, you, you can use your own words, but it, it could go something like this. Jesus, I, I believe you are the Son of God, and I believe that you've died for my sins. I believe that you've resurrected from the grave. And I believe that in you is the only place I can find complete forgiveness and immeasurable love. So I'm asking you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. And if that's you and you've prayed that today, I'm gonna encourage you to let somebody know before you leave. Just write it down on a connect card and drop it in a box or grab a prayer partner or a staff member. Let us know that you've decided to give your life to Jesus today. As Jason Martin, our music minister, plays behind me now, just give you a minute to clear your minds and hearts and continue praying and allow God to prepare your heart for communion. We'll do that in just a minute.